right, everybody. Welcome to the Big Football Show, the Big Spring Football Show. I'm Austin Meek, Michigan beat writer for The Athletic, joined by Colton Pouncey, our Michigan State writer. So spring football is in the books for both Michigan and Michigan State. The NFL draft is finished, and it's state of the program season here at The Athletic, which is the time each year that we go way into the weeds on every FBS football program. We kicked it off a couple weeks ago with Michigan. Michigan was number one, maybe the only place. Michigan will be number one anywhere this preseason, so check that out. And Colton, you're working on your Michigan State state of the program, which is going to drop later in the summer. So let's start there. Let's start with the state of the program for both of these teams in the state of Michigan. It's been a it's been a busy offseason with a lot of changes for both Michigan coaching staff, recruiting department, and the roster. A lot of turnover in all those areas with Michigan State. It's been a lot of guys going into the transfer portal, a lot of guys coming out of the transfer portal for Mel Tucker. So, Colton, give us the overview, first of all. Where's this roster at after all of this change that we've seen so far here in the offseason? Yeah, you know, I, I might need a few more months to be able to uh, accurately tell you where the roster is at because I'm still learning names. Yeah, um, it, it's funny, though, you know, that's really been the emphasis for Michigan State this offseason. You know, I, I don't think Tucker was really satisfied with the production he got out of his players last year. And obviously he didn't recruit any of those guys. So I think um, him coming in, you know, year two, you know, actually having a spring practice, this is his time to kind of evaluate the guys that he has. And also use this time to bring in his own players. And, you know, you talk about the transfer portal and the guys that he's added. I believe they're up to 13 guys that they've added through the portal already, which is just kind of insane. And I think Tucker said in February that by the time fall camp starts, he wants to have 34 new scholarship players. And he's a couple of loopholes to get there. Um, you know, I think teams are mostly restricted to 25 guys, but he was mm-hmm. able to backdate nine in early enrollees and transfers So basically add 25 additional on top of those nine to get to 34, which would be 40% of the 85-man roster, which is just insane. You're talking about crazy roster turnover and attrition, but that's what he wants to do. He wants to kind of accelerate this thing, get his guys in here. And the sooner he does that, the sooner we'll realize what he wants to do and if this thing is working. So I think at Michigan State, at least, that's really been the emphasis over here. But I mean, Austin and Ann Arbor, you got some some pretty good storylines over there as well, right? Yeah, it's it's been similar for Michigan. You know, I think the question I have with both these teams really is, can you change so much in in one off season and expect it to pay off? Like, what reasonably can you expect for both of these programs, given just how much turnover there there has been in this off season? And for Michigan, it's it's been the coaching staff with Mike McDonald coming in as the new defensive coordinator, uh, six new assistant coaches. Uh, bringing in Courtney Morgan, a former player at Michigan, as the director of player personnel. It seems like Michigan is really making some changes to how it, it runs its whole recruiting operation mm-hmm. and the roster, too. You know, especially with the new defensive scheme, guys are going to be playing different positions. They're taking a, a defense and a group of players who was recruited for one scheme and trying to adapt that to a completely different scheme. So there's there's a lot of construction dust at Michigan in, the, in yeah. this offseason. And I think that's part of the reason we haven't really been able to see behind the curtain. Michigan didn't have an open spring game, no you know, practice availability. So we're really kind of in the dark about the progress of, of all these changes. Uh, but there's definitely a sense that uh, Michigan has a lot of work to do this off season. And it, it's going to be a work in progress 
uh, and it's not going to end when the season gets here. It's going to be a, it's going to be a long-term process. Is that the feeling at Michigan state too? Uh, that, that this is, you know, now we're really kind of getting into the, the heart of the rebuilding process for Mel Tucker, because last year was such a strange year. It didn't really have a chance to work with his team in, in the off season at all. Uh, but now he, he gets a chance to put his fingerprints on this roster and you know, bring in some of his own guys and, you know, bring in guys uh, who have played college football in other places. You know, do we read anything into the fact that he is using the transfer portal so heavily? You know, what does that say about, I guess, kind of the timeline of, of when Michigan State should expect to see some results here? Because, you know, a guy transfers in, he's not coming in usually to sit on the bench for two years. He's coming in in a lot of cases to try to play right away. Right. I mean, I think you mentioned some of it. And it's, it's really interesting with Mel Tucker because, you know, for a guy in his position where, you know, he comes in in February after signing day, um, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, didn't have spring practice. Fall camp was kind of a weird shortened timeline there. And obviously only played seven games. Some games were canceled, um, kind of limped to the, to the finish line there. So I think most coaches in that position would say, OK, well, obviously, like that season didn't really count. <laughs> you know, we're going to try to try to build this the right way, you know, get some our high school guys in here, develop them. And he still wants to do all that. But the thing with Mel Tucker is he's not really complacent in that way. You know, that's why he's working the portal. He wants to win next year. And you talk about the timeline. I think he's going to be given you know, plenty of time to kind of turn the ship around. But at the same time, for him, at least, he's thinking, well, why? Why do you have to wait? You know, if I can make moves to make my team better. I'm going to do that. Why wouldn't I? I want to put my team in the best position to win. Because even if they don't go 10 and three or, you know, 11 wins already in year two, like you're not really expecting that. But I think what you want to see is, okay, we go six and six, seven and five. That's a solid foundation. You know, we brought in a lot of veteran players. You know, you talk about a defensive end like Drew Jordan, who's in the sixth year of college football, you know, a guy like Anthony Russo coming in to compete for the quarterback job. Um, You know, these are veterans that came here to play. Um, we'll see if they actually end up winning those jobs. But, you know, he wants to raise a level of competition at, at every position on the roster, um, build up the depth. So if you, if you do have injuries and, you know, maybe some guys leave, you got the next man up. You know, you're not worried about, okay, do I, do I have the depth to win now? Like, that's what he's trying to do with this roster. And I think, again, if you can build that foundation, seven and five, that would be a great year, in my opinion. Um, and then that tells you, to go to recruits and say, Hey guys, like we're building this thing. Like look where we are in year two, come here and help us get to the next level. So I think that's where it is for, for Michigan state right now. We are talking about the timeline. It's they're getting there. Um, I think Tucker wants to see this thing accelerated um, might be some growing pains along the way, but he's not going to sit back and just wait for it to develop over, you know, four or five years. He wants to see improvement from year one to year two. So you had a chance to watch Michigan State's last practice of the spring. And I know one of the things you were looking at was the quarterback position, Rocky Lombardi and Theo Day moving on from Michigan State this offseason, Anthony Russo coming in, Peyton Thorne uh, you know, in the program looked at as a guy who could contend for the starting job too. What, what was your read on where that quarterback situation stands coming out of the spring? Yeah, I mean, first off, going into it, I, I guess my takeaway or my thought going in was I think this is Anthony Russo's job to lose. You know, when you bring in a guy from another school, his last year of eligibility, sixth year guy, you kind of expect him to play. Um, <laughs> otherwise, that's kind of a disappointment for him. Right. But again, you know, Mel Tucker is not here to just guarantee jobs to guys. So I still think, you know, Russo was the guy going into it. But honestly, my takeaway coming out of spring football was Peyton Thorne really closed the gap. And 
I didn't always see it last year. Um, and that's because Rack Lombardi was a starter. And I think the coaching staff liked the idea of having a veteran begin the season. And, you know, he obviously torched Michigan's secondary during that yeah. game. Um, it's probably the best game of his life. But uh, I think people like that. The early results, I want to stick with him. Probably stuck with him a little bit longer than they should have. Um, and then when Peyton Thorne, he would come in some of those games and, and mop up duty in like the third, fourth quarter. And I, I was always impressed with what he was able to do. You know, he's a very accurate quarterback. He goes through his reads. Um, you know, we're not really going to make a ton of mistakes out there or really a ton of errant throws that he shouldn't have made. So I think he, he sort of got that game manager vibe. But for me, I never really sensed that the coaching staff was ready to give him the keys to the offense. It always seems like they were like they were hesitant to do so. And maybe that's because of Rocky and they were, weren't trying to make him feel like there was a growing competition there. But there was and everyone saw it. So I think going into this year, you know, obviously Rocky is transferred. He's at Northern Illinois right now. It was really Peyton Thorne unless you brought another guy to compete with him. So looking at him and, and Russo, I think those are the top two guys at this, the top of the depth chart right now. But, you know, honestly, my takeaway after the spring is that Peyton Thorne has really closed the gap. And I think he has a chance to win, um, which is probably more so, I would say, than when we first started spring football. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search the Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Hearing you talk about Peyton Thorne, it, it brings to mind a lot of what we hear at Michigan about Cade McNamara. A similar situation as a guy who didn't begin last season as the starter, uh, ended up taking over for Joe Milton late in the season and gave the offense a spark. And yeah. Yes, in a similar way, a guy who maybe has that reputation a little bit as a game manager, uh, you know, not that he doesn't push the ball down the field. You know, Cade came in immediately in that game against Wisconsin and he started throwing deep and got the offense moving. So, you know, Cade is a guy who you know maybe doesn't knock you over physically the same way that Joe Milton did, uh, but a really savvy quarterback, a guy who gets the ball in the right place, keeps the offense moving, has good tempo. All of those things, I think, have put Cade McNamara in a position where coming out of the spring at Michigan, he was he was the number one quarterback. And they've said that publicly, that they look at Cade McNamara as the starter. Not that that's written in stone, uh, because we still need to see what happens when Alan Bowman comes in. You know, mm -hmm. Alan Bowman is kind of the Anthony Russo of, of Michigan, a guy who played football at a high level at Texas Tech, uh, certainly is going to be the most experienced quarterback on the roster when he gets here. Um, but also a guy who's going to have to catch up because he wasn't here in the spring, the two quarterbacks uh, that everybody was focused on in the spring, of course, Cade McNamara and JJ McCarthy, the five-star freshman highest rated quarterback to sign with Michigan out of high school since Jim Harbaugh has been here. Uh, I think that that battle still continues. I don't know that it's, you know, Cade, Cade McNamara's job for good. Uh, but certainly I think, Cade McNamara comes out of the spring, probably in even a little bit stronger position than he was in going into it. I, I think, you know, Cade was really, you know, he played like the veteran in spring 
that Michigan was hoping him to be uh, and has a leg up in that competition going into the fall. Colton, as you get into your state of the program, part of what you'll do is really go in depth on every position group. Give me a, a position group for Michigan State that you feel better about coming out of the spring and give me a position group that might be a bigger area of concern than you thought coming out of the spring. Yeah, one that looks a lot better to me, at least um, on paper, is probably running back. Um, you know, you talk about last year when uh, Elijah Collins didn't really look like himself. We didn't really have a ton of answers why. I think he rushed for 91 yards on 40 carries, something like that. Um, after really a breakout year in, in 2019 when he rushed for nearly 1,000 yards and didn't even begin the year as a starter. So I was kind of curious what happened with him. He revealed a few weeks ago that he, he had COVID-19 before the season, and mm. I think that kind of affected, you know, his conditioning, his ability to get back into shape. It kind of slowed him up and he never really, he said he never really felt the same. Um, but this spring, he looks like he's back to normal. You know, he's cut some weight. He looks really trim. Coaches say he's a different player. So I think you get a, a guy like Elijah Collins, who's somewhere back to that 2019 range. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a great player, a great back to kind of, um, you know, have in your, in your, your uh, toolbox really. At, but even, even with Collins back to normal, it's funny because I don't even I don't even know if he's the best running back on the roster right now. You know, they brought in a guy like Kenneth Walker the third, Wake Forest transfer. He is really impressive. Let me tell you. I think he's everything that Michigan State needed at the running back position. Um, obviously the offensive line has been been a bit of a problem here over the years. I don't know if you've noticed that, Austin. Um, but uh, you know, they haven't really been able to pave holes for running backs. And when they have some of the guys that Michigan State has had back there haven't always been able to find those holes. And I think one of the things Kenneth Walker III does best is his vision is so great that, you know, he can take a small window and, and turn into a home run. You know, that's that's what he did at Wake Forest. He averaged more than five yards per carry, um, you know, really good change of pace back, you know, really good, uh, you know, legs. He's, he's so strong. Like Mel Tucker said that he was already breaking, um, you know, records in the weight room this offseason, like just coming out from a, from a transfer. So I think that's really impressive. A lot of hype around a guy like that. So again, those two guys really at the top, you know, you get a guy like Kenneth Walker in here to kind of stabilize that position. You get an improvement from Elijah Collins if he sticks on the roster. Um, you know, I think that's a really good, you know, one-two punch at running back. I'd say one position that probably not so confident on, I'll give you two actually, because All the right. defense is kind of a work in progress and yeah. it's, Partially because they don't have bodies here. I think they had five scholarship linebackers on the roster this spring. Really only three scholarship cornerbacks. You know, they moved one of those cornerbacks to safety. Actually, two of those cornerbacks to safety. So they really only have one pure cornerback on the roster at this point, and that would be Kalen Gerben, last year's starter. So just based on pure lack of depth, I would say I have some, some uh, concerns about those positions. But, again, that's where Tucker comes in with the transfer portal. You know, Michigan linebacker Ben Van Sumeren, He's transferring over to Michigan State. Um, they brought in a guy like Quaveris Crouch from Tennessee, who's former five-star running back prospect who switched to linebacker. Um, mm -hmm. He's got a lot of untapped potential there. I think he'll come in and be a starter. And some cornerbacks that they brought in. Um, Chester Kimbrough, cornerback from Florida, has some SEC experience in his first couple years. He'll transfer to Michigan State. A couple other guys they brought in. So we'll see how things shake out there. But in terms of post-spring position groups, I would say linebacker and cornerback, they definitely uh, need to show some more spark at those positions. Yeah. I think for Michigan, if there's a position that I feel a little bit better about coming out of spring, I might say the offensive line. 
that group was definitely in flux last season. I felt like last season Michigan got stuck in between a little bit, trying to figure out whether they should go with some older guys on their roster who maybe had been backups during their career. And then they had some guys leave in front of them. And so as a next man up, you go with the, the guys who are more experienced, who've been in your program longer, or do you go with some of the younger guys in your program who maybe have higher ceilings, but also haven't been around as long. Mm-hmm. And I felt like Michigan kind of got stuck doing both a little bit last year and didn't really commit one way or the other. And I sense coming out of the spring that Michigan may be a little more comfortable with some of those younger guys now stepping into those positions. Cause I think, you know, your best case scenario is probably for, for your most talented players to mm-hmm. seize those jobs because you want them, you know, you want them to come in and play and, and develop and to be able to play well and to be able to, you know, improve themselves for the future. That's probably the best case scenario. And even a guy like Willie Allen, who was a transfer who came in from Louisiana tech. And there was some thought that he would just step in right away as a starting tackle. The fact that he ended up going back into the transfer portal uh, after a spring, that tells me that Michigan probably feels pretty good about some of those young guys that they didn't maybe know about at this Mm -hmm. time last year, weren't sure about. So I feel okay about the offensive line. I think a position that I'm probably more concerned about would be wide receiver, Okay, you know, with Giles Jackson leaving, that was, that was a tough loss for Michigan. It was a tough one, two punch to have Giles Jackson transfer to Washington and then Xavier worthy, who was a top 100 recruit, you know, a, a really talented wide receiver who brings that, you know, dynamic big play home run capability that Michigan really needs uh, to have him sign. And then ultimately asked to be released from his letter of intent uh, losing those two guys hurt and Michigan is in a position where they need playmakers. Um, their offense needs to be better. It needs to be more explosive. Uh, and they've added some guys in some places who should help that JJ McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum had a really good spring at running back. Uh, but I, I do have some questions about that receiver group. So yeah, you know, and, and I think I also have some questions, you know, of course about defensively, um, how is that defensive line gonna gonna fit into what Mike McDonald is looking for in the new scheme? Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard about the defensive ends transitioning more into a stand-up outside linebacker role, uh, which could be a really good fit. We just don't know. It's it's a little bit different skill set for guys who were recruited to do one thing and now are doing something a little bit different. And also, does Michigan have the size inside you know, at the interior line spots? Do they have somebody who can play the nose? Uh, all of those questions I think are very much up for debate as we come out of the spring. Right. You know, it's funny because Nick Baumgartner and I were talking at the Michigan State's uh, open spring practice, and we think we kind of came to the conclusion that there might be two or three guys on Michigan State's offensive defensive line, specifically talking the defensive tackles, Mm -hmm. that could probably play at Michigan like right now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just because that's a position that kind of needs some work, the retooling, new scheme and everything. But yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I actually wanted to ask you just based on the depth chart and kind of what you're seeing at Michigan, you know, where does a guy like J.J. McCarthy fit into that quarterback battle? I know we talked about Cade a little bit, but do you feel like they're going to kind of be patient with him or if he shows that he's the guy, will he have a chance to win the job? 
Yeah, it's a great question. I got a question in the mailbag a couple of weeks ago about that, of how Michigan is going to handle this long term, because Cade McNamara, I mean, you know, he's not a young guy, but he's still got eligibility left. He could play three more years of college football if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. And nobody thinks J.J. McCarthy's going to wait that long for his chance. So at some point, that's something that Michigan is going to have to figure out. I don't think that it's something to worry about right now. I think right now it's pretty simple. You start the best guy. If Cade McNamara is your best quarterback in preseason camp, then he should be the starter and he should be the starter as long as he's playing well. And if at some point down the line, you have to make a decision about how you handle JJ McCarthy, then you cross that bridge when you come to it. But for right now, JJ's still learning. This was his first spring in college football. Everything we heard throughout the spring is that he shows, you know, as you would expect for a player in his position, he makes plays that make you go, wow. You know, makes plays that sh- you know, show you why he was a five-star recruit. He also makes plays that show you why he's a freshman. Uh, and that's, you know, that's totally to be expected uh, for a player in his position. So I think for this year, you know, if Cade McNamara wins the job and plays well, I think it's Cade's job. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if, if he doesn't play well, if he struggles or if the team struggles, then I think that Michigan needs to be pretty aggressive in figuring out what they have with JJ McCarthy, because players like him just don't come around every day. Uh, he is the, the future. This, this is the guy that has to hit and has to develop into that first round caliber quarterback that Michigan has been missing and you know that gives us a segue to talk a little bit about the draft because Michigan has put a bunch of guys in the draft but they haven't had that that first round quarterback they haven't had those first round wide receivers like Mm -hmm. Alabama and LSU and other schools have had for Michigan State you wrote a great column everybody should should read it about what it says about the end of Mark D'Antonio's tenure that for the first time in 80 years, Michigan State didn't have a single player drafted. What was your takeaway from that, just about what it says about Mark D'Antonio and what it says about the challenge for Mel Tucker of getting this roster rebuilt? Yeah, I mean, it's funny, as the draft unfolded, I'm, I'm staring at the TV, got my computer out, sat there for like four hours, and obviously no players <laughs> drafted. And I'm like, you know what, this is just the perfect bow on – not the whole Mark D'Antonio tenure, but his final year specifically. And, you know, I figured it was worth a column just kind of explain everything and what went wrong. And I, to me, it started with the 2016 recruiting class, which was supposed to be, you know, that's come. You, you got to let me put this into context first, I guess. I mean, that 2016 class was coming off of a three year run in which Michigan State went 36 and five. You got a Rose Bowl win in there, a trip to the college football playoff. That's when you should capitalize off of that success, off of that run with the following recruiting class in 2016. Mm-hmm. So credit Mark D'Antoni. I mean, he was he went out, he got some highly rated guys. Um, you know, he made move to bring in Curtis Blackwell. He had a lot of you know connections in the Detroit area, but it really backfired on him. And I think part of it is because, you know, you had some character issues that were probably overlooked just because of the talent that these guys had. Um, and obviously it didn't work out. A lot of these guys, you know, got into legal trouble, you know, sexual assault stuff um, was a major issue for that class. Um, a lot of attrition, a lot of guys that just left on their own or just fizzled out. So I think by the end of it, I think it was seven or eight of the 20 man class 
actually finish their careers at Michigan State, which is just, you know, that's a terrible hit rate, you know. Um, I think that kind of set the team back for years in terms of depth on the roster for future years. But also, I think what it did for D'Antonio is it, it kind of changed his recruiting approach. And, you know, obviously when he was building this thing up, his whole bread and butter was, well, let me get the guys out of Ohio that Ohio State doesn't want, that Notre Dame doesn't want, those guys, and tell them to come in and play with a chip on their shoulder when they get to Michigan State. And it worked for a long time. But I think after 2016 and, and kind of the issues there where he was taking some risks on some, some high-star guys that might have, might have had some character issues, he's like, you know what, I'm going to go back to Ohio. I'm going to stick to what I do best, which is fine. But at the same time, got programs like Kentucky with Mark Stoops and Vince Morrow coming in there, like they're getting great players out of Ohio. Um, Cincinnati, Luke Fickle, an Ohio guy his entire life. He's got tons of connections there. He's getting guys there. So I think the competition in that state – dramatically increased by the time D'Antonio was ready to go back there and he didn't really adjust you know he didn't widen his recruiting map he didn't send out more offers he stuck in that 200 offer range you know was really selective with his players and kind of trusted his evaluation with his Ohio coaches and that doesn't mean you can't grab good players out of the state but you're also kind of you know your margin for error shrinks when you kind of stick to that philosophy and don't widen things up so to me, that was kind of the biggest issue because we saw it on the field. You know, his last year in 2019, you know, Michigan State lost to the big three, um, really actually the big four, I'll say, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, and Michigan, 144 to 27 in those Ooh, four games. Yikes. 144 to 27. So, like, that alone tells you, okay, there's clearly something not adding up here. I threw in a quote from Urban Meyer from, I think it was after the Michigan game that year when Michigan mm-hmm. State lost 44-10 saying like, look, I got here in, in 2012 to the Big Ten. And when I got here, that that program, you know, they had guys like Le'Veon Bell, Kirk Cousins, like these pros, like their defensive line was great. You know, first round cornerbacks, like they had so much talent on those teams. This just doesn't look like the same program. And, you know, I, you know, he was he was saying, you know, credit to Mark D'Antonio, you know, he's a great coach, obviously, but something's not right here. And I think he noticed that back then. And now you see a couple of years later, Last year's draft, 2020, you had two picks. Um, Kenny Wilkes was a guy that a lot of people might have had as a first or second round pick. Um, he kind of tested out the combine. His numbers weren't great. He drops to the seventh round. And then this year, guy like Shakur Brown is probably the best draft prospect. Pretty much the only guy that really had a chance to get drafted. Kind of had a, I think Dane Brugler, our NFL draft expert, gave him like a third to fifth round grade. Um, but that was before his, his pro day when he ran like a 4.63 or 4.64 40. You know, at five nine, that's not really going to cut it. That's not what teams are looking for at the next level. Yeah. So he didn't get drafted. So now this draft streak ends. And to me, again, it all starts with Mark D'Antonio's final year, the missed opportunity with the 2016 class, you know, the pr- probably overcorrection to kind of go back to Ohio and, and some competition adding up there. So to me, that's kind of why the streak came to an end. And I figured it was worth, you know, putting my name behind it and, and uh, getting, something up, getting something up on the site. Yeah, I don't know which is worse. Michigan State not having a draft pick or Michigan losing to a Michigan State team that didn't have a draft pick. The Michigan people had some fun with that. It's like, ah, you guys better be careful there because I don't think either school coach, has a whole right? lot to brag about right now. Who's who's the coach that tweeted like you hate to see it or something like that? Oh after? yeah, I think it was one of their uh, one of their analysts or one of their GAs. Somebody like it. yeah. So you know, it's I all in good fun. It, I like. I like the rivalry. I like when, yeah. when fan bases go at it. It's no hard feelings over here. Like I think it's I think it's all in good fun. But yeah. 
if you're going to do that, man, you might got, you might have to take a look in the mirror and say, okay, well, my school just lost that school. So maybe what are we, what are we doing wrong? So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm all for stirring it up. I like the rivalry too, sure. but yeah, you got it. You got to back it up. You know, for Michigan, I thought it was interesting. Um, and the thing that I wrote after the draft was, you know, I thought back to the Citrus Bowl in 2020, Mm-hmm. Michigan played Alabama, you know, it's for both teams. It, it's kind of one of those, like, do we really want to be here games? Because both of them had higher expectations. Now, obviously Alabama is, you know, in the playoff <laughs> every year, except for that year, yeah. Michigan, that was the Michigan team that was supposed to get Jim Harbaugh over the hump. And when you look at the number of players on that team who went on to get drafted, you can see why, right? Like that, that roster had 17 guys on it who were drafted either last year or this year, plus guys who will be drafted in the future, Aiden Mm -hmm. Hutchinson, Dax Hill. Uh, So there was NFL talent on that team and they won nine games. They were a pretty good team, but they also lost 35 to 14 to Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. They also fell behind 21, nothing at Penn state. And I just look back at that team, you know, they played Alabama in the Citrus Bowl and that was like the most talented team you know, <laughs> in history, basically, you know, all four of Alabama's wide receivers were top 15 picks. Absurd. Uh, Najee Harris, <laughs> first round pick. Mac Jones at the time was like, well, who's this guy? He's to his backup. Oh no, he's he like the whole top 15 pick, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's crazy to think back on that game and crazy to think of, think back that Michigan was in that game at halftime. And I know, you know, it's, you know, it's a bowl game. Did Alabama really want to be there at the end of the day? Alabama was clearly better, but still, you know, I look back at that and think Michigan wasn't that far away from a talent perspective of being able to at least hang with a team that was really, really good. And when I look at Michigan now, my question is, is the talent still there? Is, does Michigan have the next wave of talent coming? Because they've lost 18 draft picks from this roster over the last two years. Mm-hmm. So who are the guys who are going to step up and be that next wave of NFL talent? It might be there, but I don't know that we know it yet. You know, we haven't seen those guys really step up outside of a couple. We haven't seen those guys really step up and establish themselves that they're on track to be that next wave. Yeah. Well, Austin, let me ask you this. Like, come draft draft weekend every year, like how do Michigan fans feel? Because obviously I guess there's some pride in sending players to the NFL, but is it kind of bittersweet for them? You know, say like, okay, we had 18 players drafted the past two years, but look at our, our actual results on the field. Like how, how do they kind of approaching seeing all this talent go to the NFL, but maybe not having the results there? Yeah, I think it, you know, I think people find it hard to process because I sense that everybody's kind of reaching for like, what is the narrative with Jim Harbaugh? Like, why hasn't this worked for him? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it, it's really tempting to reach for the answer and just say, well, you know, he hasn't had the talent. He hasn't recruited well enough and he hasn't developed well enough because we all know that you know, talent is really, really important in college football. And if you no don't doubt. have the talent, you're not going to win. It's pretty simple. Um, and I think, the draft is one of those times of the year that make you kind of rethink your assumptions a little bit and say, well, uh, it's not that Michigan hasn't had talent. Uh, you know, the, the, this has been a, a talented roster. Um, but I think part of it is the talent has been, uh, you know, not all draft picks are equal, right? Like there's mm-hmm. a huge difference between having 
first round talent at quarterback and the skill positions, which is what the teams that are in the playoff have pretty much every year Mm -hmm. and having like day three talent uh, on your offensive line or at linebacker or defensive end, you know, both things are great. Like compared to not having any draft picks, you love to have a bunch of day three picks. Like those are really good college football players. If you're getting drafted on day three, you are a really good college football player. And yep. you want those guys on your team. Uh, but if you want to really hit that elite level, you've got to have those those guys, you know, you've got to have day three picks maybe is like the foundation of, of your team. Uh, but you've got to have at the top that elite first round talent at the skill positions. Um, and that's what Michigan hasn't had. And now I think, you know, what I wonder is, does Michigan still have that, day three, maybe day two talent, uh, on the, on the offensive line, on the defensive line, are they as deep at those spots as they've been in the past? And then do they have, you know, could JJ McCarthy be that guy who's a top 15 pick as a quarterback, both of those things, if they can put it both together, I like the, I like the future. If, if they have neither of those things, then all of a sudden that's a problem because they have had talent during Jim Harbaugh's time. They just haven't been able to put it all together. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, you talk about the skill positions, not being high end talent. I mean, I think that kind of goes back to maybe what you had in your say the program and the, you know, what are others saying about Michigan section? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think there was a a former coordinator who kind of said their biggest issue was consisting at quarterback. And, you know, obviously we've talked about that quite a bit, but I mean, what, what's your kind of perception of maybe what others think about Michigan, um, what either what you've read or what you've heard from other people, what are people saying needs to improve with Jim Harbaugh's team? Yeah, that was the big one that was brought up was Jim Harbaugh has not been able to develop a quarterback uh, who has been the guy, you know, that guy who seizes the job uh, and, and takes the program to another level. Uh, Shea Patterson, you know, he came close for a while there uh, as a transfer, but you know, you're talking about that, that team in 2019 that had 17 draft picks on it. You know, quarterback wasn't one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Shea Patterson, you know, ended up having a pretty good college career, uh, but he was not, you know, he was not one of those guys. He wasn't Baker Mayfield, right? He was yeah. not a quarterback who came in and, and played at a level that was going to get him drafted really high. So that's really, to me, um, the thing that when people talk about development with Jim Harbaugh, he's developed guys at certain positions, um, but he hasn't developed the guy at quarterback. And to me, that's, that's the whole thing now. Michigan's got to be able to do that. Uh, and if they can't do it with J.J. McCarthy, I'm not sure they're going to get another shot. Yeah, no doubt. He looks like the future. Yeah, I think so. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks for checking out the show. I know it's the off season, but there's really no off season in college football. It's a year round sport. Uh, so keep an eye on all of the state of the program pieces that are going up now at the athletic. I know our Ohio state piece just came out. So check that out. Keep an eye out for Colton's state of the program on Michigan state coming up later this summer and check back. We'll be, uh, we'll be back with you periodically here on the show uh, leading up to the preseason when everything gets going again. So tell them thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.